Hello, and welcome to Simple Gospel, a Share the Love podcast. Simple Gospel is all about sharing real testimonies of how God has moved in someone else's life. And all testimony means is do it again. Because if God can do something in one person's life, He can and will do it in yours. So put your feet up, relax, and do what you need to do. But let's listen in and watch God do it again. Hello and welcome. This week I sit down with a friend and pastor, Jesse Maya, as he talks about his story of going from violence on the streets to the pulpit. So, Pastor Jesse, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Well, I grew up in a Christian home with Christian parents who were the first uh, in their family to give their lives to the Lord. Uh, so coming up, we were raised in the church, seen a lot of fake and a lot of phony in the church, but uh, there was still never in, no excuse for the way that I was living because I never seen fake and phony in my parents. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but we came up kind of rough, running the streets, getting into trouble. Um, I can always see that God was always in the process of saving me with everything that I ever went through because there were people that I was attached to, whether associated with or friends with, that aren't here anymore, um, that were doing some of the same stuff that I was doing. Um, and I, I know that God always had a plan for my life. So just running around, doing crazy stuff, uh, I always knew about the Lord, but I never knew Him. And I never knew that a personal relationship with Him uh, was the only way to really know Him. Uh, I was like most people. My parents are Christian, so I'm a Christian. You know what I mean? That whole superficial talk that everybody does because it's a part of our culture. So it was like I have Christian beliefs. But in the end, I mean, if you if you really evaluate my life, I had no Christian beliefs because everything I was was anti-God. So from, you know, just messing with this woman to this woman, moving from girl to girl and sleeping around. Um, I never even had a girlfriend for real until I met my wife. I just slept with women. Uh, so it just very, uh, you know, wanted to be a player back in the day. And uh, just, you know, selling drugs, getting money, just doing the stuff that young guys do, uh, which it doesn't seem like a big deal to me because everybody I was involved with, that's what they did. You know, when I share my story, sometimes a lot of people are like, that's that's a lot that's happened to you. And I'm like, man, but you don't know the half of what's happened to some of the guys I'm cool with. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you knew how they grew up. Or the things that have happened to them that I actually seen with my own eyes, you'd be like, whoa, you know, um, some of what became a normality, even for some of my friends growing up in a dope house or, you know, moms on crack, dads in prison, uh, you know, and just seeing some of those different aspects of life that I didn't see in my own household. Uh, the more you're around something, the the more numb you become to it. You know what I'm saying? And so at a young age... I became numb to a lot of things that I shouldn't have became numb to. And because of that, it, it drove me to do some of the things that I did because I, I stopped caring. Uh, one of the biggest one of the biggest game changers in my life was uh, one of my best friends. His name was Chris. And uh, we were going into, uh, what was it? 
been so long now. I was 13, he was 12. We were going into to seventh grade. And uh, right before, in August of seventh grade, he got in a car accident. And he was supposed to be with me that day. And the weekend before, he was with me. Um, but I wanted to mess with these girls, and these girls didn't like him. And we had stole all her her dad's liquor, right? So <laughs> so he wasn't allowed to go back to that house. And so I was like, no, he, he stole the liquor. And I just said that so I could go over there and mess with her friend. And uh, so I was like, he called. He was supposed to be with me. He was supposed to come stay the night. And uh, I was like, well, I'll just get back with him later. And then a couple hours later, my brother's uh, girlfriend at the time, um, she called and she was like, yo, Chris got in a car accident, uh, went head first into a tree. He's dead. And so that just kind of rocked my world. Now I had a lot of things leading up to that, that had already shaped the way that I was thinking. Like my cousin got murdered, just crazy stuff like that. And, and just seeing like my brothers and everything they were going through, it was just a very, very crazy time. Um, but when that happened, that totally just rocked my world. And so wherever there was a voice for the Lord to speak into my life, um, it got silenced at that point because it was at that point to where I was like, I don't care about anything anymore. And if something happens to me, I don't, I don't care because I don't value life anymore. And so I lived that way. Uh, I lived that way in a lot of aspects with, you know, what I did with my body as far as, you know, sleeping around with this girl, that girl to just, you know, very violent always getting into stuff. Uh, I remember, you know, just being 13, um, getting into it with a guy and, um, him and some other guys were going to try to jump me. And then I, I caught him later and I, I started cutting his throat and I told him I kill him. I was 13 years old. You know what I mean? So from that kind of a background and I could go into story after story after story of just horrific stuff that I seen or I was associated with, and like I said, to me, it was it was a norm, but some of my friends, uh, some of their stories are just very, very tragic. And uh, just other people that we lost uh, just along the way, you just become numb. It becomes a, a norm, even though it a wasn't. Part of life. Yeah, even though it wasn't normal in my household. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, my dad came from southwest Detroit. Like, he grew up in... He grew up in Texas, but around 12 or 13, they moved to Southwest Detroit. He moved to Southwest Detroit when Detroit was, like, super racist, going through a lot of uh, – our country was super racist at the time. So going through a lot of busing different kids from different communities. So, you know, he's you got my father, who's one of the Mexican kids, fighting with the black kids from over here, and then the black kids fighting with the white kids and white kids fighting. And so Detroit was very racist. It was just very hostile. And so that was my father's mentality. And he would share those stories with us, not from the racist point of view. He would tell us about how racist it is, but from the perspective of look what God pulled me out of, you know. And his desire was never for us to live how we lived. He always used to tell me, he said, if I knew you guys were going to be how you are, I would have just stayed in Detroit. I wouldn't have moved you to Kalamazoo. You know what I mean? He said, we would have just stayed in Detroit. And thank God he, he did move us to Kalamazoo because if we would have stayed in Detroit, we'd all be dead or in prison. I, I promise you that. Because <laughs> I, I seen that when I lived out there. Because um, I had gotten some trouble. Anyways, I could go into story after story after story, but I didn't see that in my house. I always seen a godly perspective. My parents weren't perfect. They did make mistakes, but so does everybody else. You know, but they did their best to show a godly example. But the thing about them was 
that I noticed is they, they never changed, but they grew. You know what I mean? But they never changed. Like, they had a godly character. And that godly character didn't decrease. It increased. And it got better with time. It got refined. Yeah. You know what I mean? To who my mom was when I was a was a kid, she you couldn't even spot that in her when I when I came into my early teens. You know what I mean? Like when my niece first was born, uh, she had she had so drastically changed that the edge that she had, it's like it wore off. You know what I mean? And it's like she just was more in tune with the Lord in every aspect, even in parenting. And uh, so I never seen those things inside of my household. So it was a very peaceful environment. My friends even used to say that when they'd come over, everybody, when they came over to my mom or my dad's house, they would come over and we'd be chilling. They'd be sitting on the couch and everybody would always fall asleep because they were like, this is the most peaceful place in the world. You know what I mean? And so that was kind of how I grew up. And so it was very chaotic. And like I said, I could just share story after story. So you're talking about 27 years of, of just living like this, getting deeper and deeper into things. Now you add my wife on top of that. And at the time was my girlfriend. I moved from Kalamazoo thinking maybe love was going to help me. Uh, so I moved to Muskegon to be with my wife, uh, who was my girlfriend at the time. Very crazy, chaotic time. Uh, she ended up later on developing a, a drug addiction. And uh, <clears throat> we had a child. So you add a child on top of to all my drama, everything I was going through, my mentality, the way that I was, and then her stepping into this drug addiction after she had my son, uh, my oldest son, Mateo. So it was just a very, very chaotic time. Uh, then on top of that, I was doing hip hop music and we were just moving all the all around. We were like going, doing shows here, doing shows there. It was just very chaotic. Had a lot of women on top of that. You know, so it was just a very chaotic time. So it's 27 years of all these experiences that just shape and molded the way that I seen the world. And, and I remember moving back before I gave my life to the Lord, probably about a year and a half before everything happened, um, <clears throat> or maybe two years, moving back from Muskegon to Kalamazoo. And <clears throat> this had to be like 20, 20, 2012 be early early 2012 or late 2011 and uh i came home and i came to my parents house and when i moved back it was like everything that i had emotionally detached from hit me all at once and i i came home my intentions were to get a job you know because i had a son and i was going to get a job get us a place and everything but when i got to my parents house it's like everything just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I sat, I literally sat down for six months. I didn't talk much. I didn't do much. The only time I really talked much was when I was drinking, which was I was trying to do that as much as I could. Um, I was sleeping more than I've ever slept in my life. And it was just a very, very crazy time. It was like every, I'm but it's it's crazy how the enemy will work on you. It's like everything that I had emotionally detached from just hit me all at once. So from, you know, having to deal with the separation of what's going on with my son when he's with my my wife, who wasn't my wife at the time, uh, and she has a drug addiction to the environment he was in, to the friends that I lost, to now the music, everything died off. Um, just everything that I had ever been through hit me. And I remember my brother saying, uh, my brother Jamie, who wasn't saved at the time, 
I remember him saying to me, he said, look, whatever you're going through is cool. He's like, I got you. I'm going to hold you down. He's like, so if, cause I said, you smoke cigarettes. So he was like, you need a pack of squares or whatever. I'll get you some cigarettes, uh, whatever you need, you know, just, just whatever you're going through, work it out. And I'll, I got you financially. And I was like, oh, okay. And I honestly, like I was appreciative, but I didn't even care. Cause I, it was like, I couldn't move. Yeah. You know what I mean? The only time I moved was when I could, I could have a chance to stop what was in my head, which was to go get drunk or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Go, go mess with this girl. <laughs> I could have a, a, a moment to where the torment that I was going through wasn't going to keep happening. And my mom was like, yo, you got to get up and do something. You got to get a job. You got to do something. And she wasn't telling me that because she was like ashamed of me. She was trying to get me out of this funk that I was in. You know, she was like, you got to get up. You got to do something. And uh, I, it's, it's not that I didn't want to. It's like I literally couldn't. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't get past seeing this this roadblock ahead of me. Like you were essentially paralyzed. Yeah, yeah, emotionally. Emotionally, I was, and uh, I was very numb. And then, like I said, you had alcohol on it, and then because of the music, and then, like, I've always been around, like, Grand Rapids, Muskegon, Holland, um, you know, Kalamazoo, so I got this girl over here, this girl over here, so you add that on top of it, too. So I'm just trying to find these little moments of pleasure so I can feel something, other than what I'm feeling on a constant basis, and none of it added up. Um, but I remember I finally did get a job with my boy D, and we were doing snow removal. And uh, I was coming out of it a little bit. And then I was like, this isn't going to be enough, D. I was like, I'm going to have to get something else. He was like, I, I feel you. Go ahead. And so I went and got a job at this factory. And... I swear on everything I love, like the, the moment I sat down in the chair, whatever it was that had came on me lifted off of me. I, I grabbed the part. They showed me how to do it. I grabbed the part and I remember like it was yesterday and, and I, and I used the little machine and I snapped the part down. And the moment that I did, this is the thought that came to my head. What have I been doing with the last six months of my life? And it was, it was so crazy because it just lifted. And it was like, I don't, I don't even know how to say it. Like, I could see. Like, I could see in a way that I'd never seen before. And so that, that's why I said God was always in the business of saving me, even when I didn't want anything to do with him. So you fast forward from the start of this job until um, my mom was real sick. I didn't know she was real sick because I had been gone all of these years since, like, after high school. I got in trouble. They were trying to get me for a couple of attempted murders. I went to... Uh, Detroit got in trouble in Detroit, got caught with a pistol, came back. And then from there, I, I, that's when I developed this relationship with Stephanie, my, with my wife. And then I moved to Muskegon, got caught for the pistol, got on probation. Cause I was, I got the height of program for, for first time felons. And so there was just all of this was on me and then it came off of me. Right. And then. I didn't realize how sick my mom was until that happened, until that lifted off me. Like I had been with them for six months, but I didn't realize that her liver disease was as bad as it was, even though I was in the same house with her, which is so crazy, right? Yeah. I was so consumed by me, I didn't even see it. So then it comes time for donation. Like she can, 
actually receive a donation. We can go through this process of, you know, her getting a replacement because, you know, your liver is the only organ that regenerates. So my, my oldest brother, Jamie, he, he went for it first. And uh, they said his anatomy didn't didn't line up. And so they won't risk uh, the donor. Right. So because they won't risk the donor, uh, he, he wasn't able to do it because they'd have to. I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but they have to like slice his liver in three spots. So I was like, well, I'll go try. And I didn't know like I was the same blood type and all that. So I went. <laughs> so my brother B wouldn't have to come from Tennessee. And so I went and went through the whole process and they were like, you know, basically you're a perfect match. You're a perfect candidate in order for you to do this. They're like, but you can't drink and you have to stop smoking. So I'm like, oh, man, you know, so I, I did my best and, and, and started going to the gym running and started going through all the testing, um, doing the biopsies and everything in order for me to be a donor for my mother, for the liver, excuse me, for the liver transplant. And so we ended up doing this October... 15th um in 2015 uh so everything went su successfully but it was at that time when I woke up from the surgery I remember two days later I was sitting up and uh I remember it like it was yesterday a, a old friend of mine from uh from high school my boy Jeremy he had commented on something on Facebook and he said something along the lines like uh, I can't remember what he said. It was something like, you look good or, you know, so happy. Something about new, something about new life. I remember it was my boy Jeremy had said it, though. And it was, I just started thinking about that. New. What does new look like? You know what I mean? What does my life look like after this? You know? Um, so it was weird for me because, like, I came home after that. And I came home different, but emotionally, I didn't know how to talk about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when I came home, I got my boy Styles waiting on me because we're working on this music. And, and so I, I try to come home being the same I've always been, knowing that everything inside of me is drastically different. So it's like the Lord was speaking through me or the Lord was speaking to me the whole time, but I didn't know it. I didn't. I didn't realize it i didn't recognize it i didn't know it was him and i came home different but i couldn't communicate it because it was like communicating anything like that was to me was like weakness yeah it was like being like a punk you know as immature as that sounds um but i couldn't communicate it but i knew my whole life had changed you know very drastically and so i didn't know what to do with that because i wasn't ready to let go of me I knew, I always knew that following the Lord was the right way to go, right? Because I seen the fruit of my parents' lives. So I always knew that was the right way to go. And so I would come to church ever so often, listen to my dad preach. And uh, I would always feel conviction in my heart, like, I, I need to make this move. I need to do something. But I wasn't ready to let go of me and the things that I was doing. So I kind of came home and got back into the same things, you know, sleeping with this girl, that girl, uh, drinking a little bit, you know. I even started smoking again, uh, just back into the same routine, you know, just working on music, started working again back in January. And then uh, February 16th, then my, then my mom got in a car accident head on with three other ladies from our church, as you know, 
and um, so they all died. And when that happened, I remember more than anything of that night, I was, it just goes to show you like where I was. We were getting ready to start sending out music um, to a couple connections that we had. And so I was ready to go to the studio that night to finalize some music, but I had to wait until my mom got back so, so she could be there with my son. It was one of her first times out of the house, and it was a Saturday night, and she was supposed to be coming back. And so I was waiting for my dad because my dad was already out, out here, out this way to come get her. And uh, I was waiting for them to come back so she could take Mateo so I could go finalize some of this stuff because we were getting ready to finish it and start sending it out. And um, then we got a call. And then when we got the call, Jamie was like, uh, something happened. We got to go to Hartford. And I didn't share it with anybody, but I always had dreams that came true, right? And sometimes I would see stuff, but I never told anybody about it. When he said that, I seen my mom, like, lunge forward and her head smack on the dashboard of a car. And that's all I saw. And so I knew. I knew before we even got to the scene that she was gone. And so on the way to, to the accident, you know, we're like 35, 45 minutes away, but it was a blizzard. So I'm trying to calm Jamie down because he's driving like a maniac and I got Mateo in the back. <laughs> so I'm like, yo, man, you got to chill. And he's not, he's not, he's not listening. He's still trying to do 60 in a blizzard and it's like ice out. The whole highway is like a sheet of ice and we're driving, you know, 35 minutes on the highway. So I pray and I ask God, I said, God, give him peace because he needs it. I said, and if you don't give him peace, he's going to lose it. And then we're going to get in an accident before we ever get out here. And that's all I prayed. That's all I prayed. We got off the highway. The sheriff, we, we seen the sheriff off the highway. He was like, yo, y'all got to go down to the funeral home, went to the funeral home. I told Jamie, I said, go holler at the, the police. I said, I'm going to sit here with Mateo because Mateo was little. I didn't want him to hear that. So he went there. He was taking too long. I told Mateo, I said, I'll be right back. Just sit here. He said, okay. He was in the back just playing with his toys. Mateo was like four. And uh, so I went over there, and, and Jamie was like, he was like all four of them, bro. And I was like, I cussed. I was like, F this or something like that. It was something along those lines. I said, and I just looked at him. I said, okay. I was so used to being numb, I just didn't even feel anything. You know how people start crying when they yeah. come to those that kind of a news? And I wasn't. I was just like, I wanted to hit something. But I was just like, okay. I said, well, I'm going to walk across the street and get a pack of cigarettes and, and get something to drink. And then as I was walking back, because um, Mateo's in the car right there with Jamie, as I was walking back, I heard my dad pull in. And when I heard my dad pull in, and Jamie told him, you could hear my dad for like a block. Like he was just crying so loud. And I went and I didn't go up to my dad. He was in the car and Jamie was talking to him. So I wasn't going to interrupt. I just went and stood by Jamie's car and I lit a cigarette. And I was standing there smoking a cigarette. And I remember snow was falling. You ever seen like the Matrix? It's the best way I can describe it. You ever seen the Matrix where he... He goes back in slow motion and dodges the bullets. Yeah. It was it was like that with the snow. It, I don't know how to describe it, man, but it was like 
all of a sudden I got hit with peace that I've never had before. And it was like something went through my whole body. And it was like time stop, slow motion. It's the best way I can describe it. And uh, we, Jamie got in the car. He was like, you're going to have to drive home with Mateo. I was like, all right. So I went home not understanding what just happened. And I got Mateo to sleep. And then I went to Jamie's. And my dad was up. It was so crazy when we went home because nobody said anything. Jamie went in one room. My dad went in another. And I went in the living room after I laid Mateo down. And nobody said anything. And the silence was driving me crazy. And I was like, I can't. I can't just sit here. So I went and got some liquor. (laughs) I didn't understand what was going on because people grieve in in these times. And I wasn't grieving. I wasn't. I wasn't even angry anymore. And it wasn't until I got drunk till I got a little emotional. And even when I got drunk, I still wasn't that emotional, but I had this peace. It was so crazy. And uh so within that time frame, my dad preached three of the four um messages for the funerals. So we had four funerals in three days. And I helped with all of that. And uh I helped bring in the bodies, set up everything. But it was like the third third day. Maybe it was the day of my mom's funeral. I don't remember. But we were driving down King's Highway, me and Jamie. And he was like, yo, you know, we're going to have to make something count, man. Like, let's get, you know, the music going and get everything out. And I just told him, I said, yo, man, I can't, I can't do this no more. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, I was like, I can't, I can't live like this anymore, man. And he was like, well, what are you talking about? I was like, I said, I know without a shadow of a doubt. I said, if I don't change my life, I'm probably going to lose it. I said, and if I don't, if I don't give my life to the Lord, I'll never see mom again. Cause I always felt like I'm just going to hell because I lived a very unrepentant life. You know what I mean? I might have accepted Jesus when I was a kid. I don't even remember that, though. You know what I mean? And uh, I told him, and I said, and, and that's that's my desire. Is to, I said, I because I really didn't even get a chance to say bye. I said, and, and I don't want to live like this anymore. I said, bro, I'm miserable. You know what I mean? I've been miserable for the majority of my life. And uh, it was right there that I gave my life to the Lord. It was the, it's so weird because, I've I haven't met too many people who have had that experience of it was the Lord's way of wooing me in one of the most traumatic times in my life. He gave me peace that passes understanding, even outside of a relationship with him. But it was that that drew me into the relationship. You see what I'm saying? Had it not been for that, I don't I don't know if I would have ever given my life to the Lord. But from that i can i can see that the lord knows what he's doing and he does he do different things with different people yeah he does uh but he dropped his peace on me i don't think it was mine to to have because i hadn't come to the lord yet yeah but he allowed me to share in it to woo me to him you know what i mean and it was once i came to him in relationship it's like i took possession of it and then from that time it never left me you know what i mean it was like it, it had settled some issues, the peace that the Lord had given me. It sounds so crazy, man, but it, I, I can only give you what I got, you know. Yeah. It settled some issues in my heart, 
it helped me to get through a, a very difficult time. But I knew that if I didn't give my life to the Lord, I wouldn't have any peace anymore. I'd be right back where I always was because I never had peace in my life, you know, unless I was drunk or unless I was doing something for pleasure, you know. Then I didn't have to think about everything. Um, but when you live the type of life that I lived, like people always have this this stigma about tough guys that when they do stuff, they just don't care. And even when people say, I don't care, you might have made that decision to not care. But internally, regardless, if you if you say you don't care or not, you still have to deal with the things that you've done. Yeah. You know what I mean? So internally, I was under torment constantly trying to live with the things that I've done. You know what I mean? And uh, it was just so, so night and day different when the Lord dropped his peace on me. And I didn't want that to lift. I didn't want that to leave. And I knew it was him because only God gives you peace, you know. And so I gave my life to the Lord. And then, like I said, it was like I took possession of it. It wasn't just something that I had. It was something that shaped and molded me because I, I grew in it. You know what I mean? It's like that that never left. And I've had some very hard seasons even after giving my life to the Lord. And that peace has only increased in my life. It's never left. But it was the Lord wooing me to him to say, hey, you know, I have more for you than you've ever desired for yourself. You know, look at the life that you've had all these years. That's not what I wanted for you. And one of the biggest moments for me was a few weeks after that. I remember getting out of the shower and putting a towel around me. And I was wiping off the mirror. And I was looking at myself in the mirror. It's, it's so weird. <laughs> but I was looking at myself in the mirror. And I looked at myself and I said, you know what? It's your fault. Um, that was one of the biggest moments of clarity in my life. I was like, it's your fault. Everything that you've ever been through in your life is your fault because I could have chose to stay home. You know what I mean? I could have chose not to go with this dude here or these dudes over here because um, I was always in the middle of something. You know what I mean? Even if yeah. I didn't cause it, I was always in the middle of something. And that was never modeled for me at home. You know, uh, what was modeled for, for us at home was, you know, a Christ-like character. And like I said, my parents weren't perfect, but they were consistent. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Very, very consistent. And, and they only grew in that godly character. And so I had that moment of clarity where I was just like, man, it's your fault. You know, every situation that's happened, you didn't have to be there. You put yourself there. You know, there's there's some some of my friends that growing up, like, they couldn't escape that reality. Because this is home. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? But my home was so much different. And I actually put myself in, in that environment, in that, you know, there was peace in my house. But when you leave my house, there's not peace on the streets. You know, there's not peace in the neighborhoods. And so I didn't have to go and do some of the things that I did. I had a choice. Like, I was always really good at sports. I could have stayed with basketball. I had a private tryout to get a scholarship after, you know, college. But instead, I went out. Uh, that weekend, got into it. We almost killed a guy. And so I dipped out of state because I'm like, I'm not going to prison for murder, you know. And yeah. so I, I left for Wisconsin, left a, a good job that was going to hire me behind, 
I left uh, all, every opportunity for college behind and everything. And my life just, you know, went out of place from there. But, yeah, so, you know, coming to the Lord was, in my experience, it was all the Lord bringing me to a decision. But it was all by his grace and his mercy that I could even come. Um, it's It's sad to me to see the life that I've had, the restoration that I've seen, uh, not just in my life, my wife's life, our family. Uh, you know, I often think about that, that two of my kids wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the Lord encountering me in one of the worst moments in my life in a parking lot. You know what I mean? Um, but thinking back, I was just just reminiscing on all the years that have, that were wasted outside of a relationship with the Lord. And he didn't ever want any of that for me, but I chose that. And so, you know, when I repented of those things, I, I never went back. And the Lord, he He healed me of depression, anxiety, which I had really bad, suicidal thoughts. Those things got lifted from my life. It was, it was such a rapid, miraculous process, if I could put it any kind of way, because it was like one day it was all there and then one day it was all gone and it's never came back. You know, and I've only just pressed into him deeper and deeper and allowed him to, to teach me, to lead me, to guide me. And he, he always proves to be, you know, a better father than people give him credit for, you know. Um, but for me and my story, I think the the biggest thing for me looking back is I missed out on years of God's goodness trying to produce my own yeah and there was nothing good about it you know what i mean and along the way like when we preach in the jails sometimes i always share that with people along the way um i didn't recognize the call of god on my life but it was always leadership and i can see it throughout seasons of my life because i always share this with the jail there's people who were in my life who aren't here anymore and they didn't get the chances that i've got some of them didn't make it to 15, you know what I mean? Some of them didn't make it to their 30s or to be able to get married or have kids, you know, things like that. And it was because of the influence that I had that I might not have put the needle in their arm, you know what I mean? I might not have pulled the trigger or put them in the car they were in or whatever. But the influence that I had um, helped to lead them to a life that was apart and separate from the Lord, you know. And so I, I've always seen that once I came to the Lord is that the influence that I had helped people who aren't here anymore leave this earth. And so I always see that as fuel because I don't live with the shame and the regret and the condemnation of it anymore because there's no condemnation in Christ, right? Because he, he's taken that from me or else I would live with it. But I always use it as fuel to think, okay, if in my younger years when I wasn't following the Lord— if I could influence so many people to run away from him, how much more now can I influence those same people that I have influence with to run to him? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that drives me on a constant basis, just thinking about all the friends that I've lost, whether it was to overdoses or, you know, accidents or, you know, just throwing their lives away. I know so many people who just throw threw their lives away, you know, had so much potential, gifted, 
to do anything they want to, but instead they chose to, you know, give it to this, that, or the other. And it actually ended up costing their life, costing them their life at a young age. So with me, uh, looking back over my life, it's, to me, it's nothing less than a miracle that the Lord saved me, he redeemed me, and he called me out in one of the worst times of my life. Because uh, I know how people like I was, how we respond to death. And we respond by just getting drunk, you know what I mean? Trying to numb it in the same way because we have no answers for life. And so it's just trying to numb it, get past it, get through it. And it's just another layer of hurt and pain that we put on and try to carry on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, and so I'm always thankful that in the worst, one of the worst moments in my life, especially after, you know, coming out of that surgery and my mom, you know, recovering where she's going to be healthy again after we went through the transplant surgery, uh, just, just looking back, I'm just, you know, I could have been bitter for that and I wasn't because all of those emotions that I would have usually carried were just totally um, deflated where I would usually pump that up, you know, puff that up. And that would be my confession. It would be my heart. It would be my mind, you know, depression, anxiety, uh, anger, all of those things. It was like the Lord just gave me that peace and it just totally eradicated everything, you know. So I'm just I've always just been very thankful for the miracle of salvation that the world that the Lord's worked out in my life because without it I honestly I don't even think I'd be here I think I probably would have just put one in my head you know just dealing with the things that I've dealt with and then some of the traumatic things that we've had to deal with even after you know giving my life to the Lord you know because God never promised that our lives would be perfect from following him you know what I mean but he promised to give us peace and like I said that peace has never left and there was just things that I wouldn't have noticed if I hadn't given my life to the Lord and he gave me his wisdom, his knowledge, his understanding. You know, even when my dad passed, my dad was like my best friend, you know, and they didn't even have an answer for why he passed. But I always realized and it, it taught me how to be a better father that the reason that it wasn't so traumatic, for one, I have the peace of the Lord. You know what I mean? That hasn't changed. It's only increased in my life. And for two, I, I really recognize that, you know, my dad prepared us for that moment by teaching us how to live. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So he prepared us for his death because his whole his whole obligation to us as a father was to teach us how to live. And, and he learned that from the father. So he always pointed us to the Lord. Like the last thing that he gave us was he had all his insurance information and everything for if something happened to him in this envelope. On the envelope, it said... uh Hey, here's all the stuff when something happens to me. He said, take care of my babies, follow the Lord. I'll see you when you get there, <laughs> you know? And so that was always his focus. His focus was like taking care of his family, directing them to the one who takes care of us all, you know? And because of that, um, I've been taken care of in every season. And and the Lord hasn't stopped displaying his goodness uh, to me and, and, and my household, my, my whole family. Um, because we've made that decision and so many lives have been affected. That's what's the crazy part to me is because a lot of the times we disqualify ourselves because of how we feel about who we are. One of the biggest things I picked up after coming to the Lord was my identity. And it, it, it like I said, it just increased, oh, you yeah. know, and because of that, there's been so many lives affected and there's just been a, 
a drastic domino effect just from me giving my life to the Lord. I can't, I can't even give you a number of how many people we've led to the Lord because this has happened in our lives because people really knew how much of a jerk I was. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can't fake that. And so people always have known though that I, I wasn't a fake dude, you know? So when it came to, to knowing the Lord, I wasn't pretending. And so, uh, it, it just to see like the fruit of what God has done in my life begin to multiply is always amazing to me because we disqualify ourselves because of who we were. But when we fall into our, the, the true identity of Christ and who he's called us to be, we become unstoppable, you know? And so I'm still amazed looking back at my life, you know, going over my story about what God has done in my life and how far he's brought us. It's always humbling. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm always thankful. I, I wake up every day thankful. Like, I tell people that all the time, but I'm for real. Like, I'm like, yeah. you can come sleep on my couch. You can stay with me, you know, and you could see that nothing changes. Nothing changes. Why? Because God doesn't change. My situations have changed. My finances have changed. My, my life around me has changed. But God doesn't change. And if God doesn't change and he's for me, he's not against me and he's with me, then I'm not going to change my response to God just because my life, my finances or my situation have changed. And so I wake up thankful with that posture, not just, you know, physically, but my heart. My heart is postured towards him in every way and thankful every day. And so no matter what life ever throws at us, that's how we 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 operate. And And I'll end it right here. What's so dope about it is that when you walk in my house, it's the same peace that was in my parents' house when we were growing up. And it's because it's the same Holy Spirit. Yeah. It's the same God. You know what I mean? And it's the same relationship. And so I'm always thankful for that, you know, that my kids get to live and breathe and exist in the same kind of environment that I grew up in. And what the enemy robbed from me through my ignorance when I was a kid, um, he's, he's, he's not doing that to our children. See what I'm saying? Like my son's 12 and he's still, his innocence is intact. Mine was gone by like eight. Like I was smoking, drinking, trying to get high by like nine years old. You know, I was like trying to have sex by, by nine, 10 years old. And so my innocence was gone. But what's, what's awesome about it is my, my kids don't know that life. You know, they don't know anything about that but they already know Jesus. So, yeah, that's my testimony. <laughs> All right. Um, just one follow-up question then. All right. Um, just describe what God's doing, like your passion for ministry now as a pastor. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the biggest things for me, man, is I've seen so much fakeness in the ministry. I've seen so many people do it for a paycheck. I've seen so many people fake it. And when you have discernment, you can spot it. Everything that has happened with us progressively has been natural. Like no hyper spiritualization, nothing like that. Like the Lord gives us a word or gives us, you know, a prophetic word or say a word of knowledge. And it's always life. It's like, it's like a, a new, uh, it's like a new breath came into that person because God's words are life. Right. And, and everything has been progressively natural. We haven't had to, like, I, I don't do fake. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? And so with that being said, I've always wanted to have a real relationship with God. And if I can't have a real relationship with God, then God's not real. And that's how I've always gauged it. And one of the best things that's ever happened to me is that I didn't have, outside of my father, I didn't have a mentor. I was left to pastor a church without a mentor. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I learned to rely on the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I learned through that in relationship with God that he is everything that he says that he is. He's it, The Holy Spirit is a helper. He's a teacher. He's a comforter. I've learned through first serving in the church. When I first came, I, I didn't have much to give to the church. Like I didn't have much money. I didn't have... Um, I'm talking about outside of ministry. Like I didn't have much money. I I did just didn't have much to give, but I was like, I can vacuum the floors. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I can go, I can go clean the gym because nobody else wanted to do it. I was like, I, I can scrub the baptismal because it needs to be scrubbed. And so through that process of me doing, and that's why I always encourage people do something. Don't do nothing because you doing nothing isn't helping you. But through doing, you develop a servant mentality and that's, that's one of the verses that's always stuck in my head when Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And I believe that it's not just every Christian leader's response. I, I believe it should be the response of, of every believer, every follower of Christ, that here we are in a world who might reject us, but we're still willing to love them and to serve them with the love of Christ, regardless you know, of their response to us. And so it should be our response to say, I'm going to pour out my life while I'm here, because it's the only time I have to do it. When I get to heaven, I can't do it. I'm going to pour out my life while I'm here to see many come with me when I go. And so if if I had uh, a perspective on leadership, it would be surrender. It would be submission to the Lord. Like when I came into this church, the Lord emptied me in a lot of ways. Um but when I came into leadership in the church, the Lord really emptied me and really showed me, hey, Jesse, it's like a, a smooth, calm whisper. He's like, it's not about you. You know what I mean? And so from that perspective, I've always recognized that this church belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to me. I'm only here to preach what he wants me to preach, to say what he wants me to say, and to do what he wants me to do. But you have to remember, that's the confession of Jesus. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm just here to do his will. And if I'm not here to do his will, I'm going to mess up everything because I'm trying to interject my will in his house. And that doesn't work. You know what I mean? It's To me, it's the same as like bringing some some random girl to my dad's house so I can sleep with her and just walking her in. And he's like, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going to go have sex with her in the back room. And my dad's like, no, 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 you're not. This is my house. You're not going to violate my house. I'm like, no, I'm going to impose my will in your house. You know what I mean? This wouldn't work. Yeah, it wouldn't work at all. So why do we why do we pervert the church like that on a constant basis by trying to insert our will above God's will in His house? He, he's not for it. And so my whole main objective, if like I like I've told you before over and over, if I could teach anybody anything, it's how to lean into and trust the Holy Spirit that he knows exactly what he's doing. He doesn't lead us because everybody's like, oh, we're going to get led into something demonic. You can't go after Jesus with everything that you are and expect to encounter the devil. You know what I mean? 
you're not going to get more of Satan by going after Jesus. And there's this this fear-based thing amongst Christians that if if we lean into the prophetic or we lean into the Holy Spirit, we're going to get Satan. And it doesn't work like that. The Bible's given us a gauge. The Word of God's given us a gauge of, you know, false prophets, sin, sin nature, the demonic. Like, we have that gauge. It, none of that has anything to do with righteousness, purity, and holiness. You know, so so my view as as a minister is just to do the Lord's will. You know, like I don't I don't have to proclaim the name or the title pastor as much as I do the title of a son of the living God. You know what I mean? And I, I think when we live with that mentality, we're safe because our reliance is no longer on the pressure of the congregation or the pressure of the culture or the pressure of uh, outside influences. It's all about having an audience of one. I do this because I love the Lord. And I know that if you experience him in the same way I have experienced him, that you'll you'll find freedom. And I know that from my experience, when I don't get in the way and I won't try to insert my will, if I just follow him, he sets people free all of the time through me. And it's amazing. And that's that's what we want to do with the rest of our lives. But I mean, we have so you know, we have so much in the works of just building, of just building a, um, building the Freedom House, which which we want to we want to run a year long program to house addicts and have them see the same freedom that we have because we know it's possible for anybody. Like I always say that yeah. if the Lord has saved me, he'll do it for anybody. Like there, I'm no more important than you are and God's not going to show favoritism. He actually wants what he has for me, for you, you know? And I always tell people that if, if you knew what was on the other side of your confession and your follow, because a lot of people like to confess, they don't like to follow. But if you knew what was on the other side of your confession and your follow, you wouldn't hesitate to follow the Lord, you know, but that takes surrender it takes trust and obedience. And without those three key ingredients, you won't experience the freedom of Jesus. You know, but with those things, you're unstoppable. You know what I mean? We the, the Lord will heal us miraculously. He'll he'll touch us. That depression, that anxiety, that whole mental health thing that seems to come over the church and we adopt that instead of saying, Hey, a renewed mind, get in your word. You know what I mean? Uh Jesus is actually in the business of the truth setting you free. He is the truth. You know what I mean? And I've seen those lies lift off people's lives like it's not anything so when you hear me talk I, I i'm very bold because i know i know what i'm talking about i yeah. always tell people hey i have the the most dangerous mind you can ever encounter and it's the mind of christ that means that we're not going to settle for the lie so if there's a lie in your life and you've given me the authority to speak into your life i'm never going to agree with the lie because it's not helping you but i'll go after it you know what I mean? uh, we'll go after it every time because once that lie is uprooted freedom can come because truth can take its place. And I always, ref I always refer it back to what Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, hate can't drive out hate, only love can do that, right? Well, a lie can't drive out a lie, only the truth can do that. You see what I'm saying? And so more than anything, I think your heart, my heart, our heart as a congregation is to see liberation and freedom come to those who have rejected the Lord um, because they, they have no freedom. And so our heart has become to, to, to serve, to minister, and to see freedom come, uh, not because it does something for us, but because of what it does for them. You know, there's so many times we go to the jail, and I always remind them, because I want to get all of the cliches and, and all of that junk out of the way. I'm like, yo, nobody paid me to come here. You know what I mean? 
Like nobody paid me to come here. (laughs) I had to use my own gas. I could be at home with my kids right now, but I value you. And that's why I'm here. I'm already good. I already know I'm good with the Lord. I already know I'm going to heaven, but where are you? You you see what I'm saying? So I want to get those, those, all of that junk out of the way because people always have these cliches and, and I, I tell them, I'm like, yo, you don't have to come to my church, to the church that I help pastor. It's actually the Lord's church. Let me say that. But I'm saying like, I, I didn't come here. So you'll come to our church. I, I came here cause I, I, I want you to be free. And if you're free and I'm free, I truly believe that we can change the community. We can in turn influence the culture and we can in turn start to change the nation. If we would choose to follow Jesus and run together, I believe we're unstoppable. So if I had, you know, one vision for ministry, there's a lot of different dynamics to it, whether it's like the Freedom House Church, the ministry at the church or evangelism or this, that and the other planning a church, this. We have a lot of different dynamics and a lot of vision and dream that the Lord has given to us. But that's the basis of it. Seeing freedom come to people's lives um, in Jesus name. You know what I mean? And seeing Jesus just totally take um the people that the world forgot about or the people that the world sees as unredeemable. That's our, that's our crew. Those are the people we're going after because I believe that's our mandate. Those are the people Jesus went after. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the biggest, I mean, a couple of the biggest things, I I guess just to end it, have a real relationship with God. We don't have to fake anything. Um, I can't stand when people try to fake a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't need your help. You know what I mean? Um, but he does manifest himself. That's that's one thing that we need to to get clear. And that's why discernment is so, so key. But, you know, having a real relationship with God, we don't have to fake anything. We can naturally walk with him. Um, let him speak to us, lead us, guide us, and direct us and do his will and and love people well, you know. And there's people, and I can tell you as a pastor, there's people I can't stand. They get on my nerves, even the way they eat. But I know I get on people's nerves. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so just because somebody gets on your nerves and you don't like them doesn't give us the right to not love them. You see what I'm saying? So you could get on my nerves and I can't stand you, but I'll still serve you. Why? Because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to change you. I'm not trying to conform you into my image or make you live like I am. It's okay to be genuinely you if we're genuinely following Jesus. I'm not trying to duplicate myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're just trying to see the same freedom that's came to our lives come to yours. And so it doesn't mean that we have to like everybody because that's impossible. You know what I mean? That is impossible for us to like everybody. But to love everybody, it's, it's not just possible. It's what God's called us to do. And so by not doing it, we're actually in strict disobedience, choosing our will over his. So that was my conversation with Pastor Jesse Maya, head pastor of the Church Keeler. Be sure to check him out or check the church out on Facebook at the Church Keeler. They live stream their services weekly. Also, sermons are posted uh, as podcasts weekly as well, so be sure to check that out. I'm just going to close this out with a prayer. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that you are always in pursuit. Thank you for the ones you're reaching out to, that that you're still pursuing them even though they're shutting you down. 
thank you for your peace. And peace is needed now more than ever. So, Holy Spirit, come give your peace to those who need it. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Simple Gospel. If you are interested in any of the resources mentioned in today's episode, links are in the description. Have a fantastic day, and God bless.